Welcome to episode 885 of The Sleeper in the Must. I'm Justin Mason, joined by Jason Collette. Jason, how you doing? Good morning. How are you? I am barely awake. This is like uh, like a throwback to the days in which I worked overnights and then came and recorded with you. I was up till 4 o'clock in the morning, uh, set in TGFBI League, so that is well underway. Uh, you can still sign up for TGFBI over at TGFBI.com. Or sign up for a satellite league if you want to win your way into next year's TGFBI uh, over there at TGFBI.com. But uh, yeah, I'm a little bit exhausted. How, how are you doing, my friend? Uh, hanging in there. Um, been a beautiful weekend here uh, over in Charlotte, weather-wise. A little cool, but you know, you know, you know, I don't mind the cool. Uh, and so been working on some projects. Went for a almost six-mile walk yesterday. Uh, rewarded myself afterwards with uh, one of the winter fruited sours they have out here, which was pretty amazing. And uh, that's it. Getting ready to watch some football this afternoon. Yeah, uh, I'm super excited to watch football. Broke up my air fryer uh, this week uh, that uh, my wife got for Christmas. And going to try to make some uh, chicken wings and, and test everything out before Super Bowl. So, um, But joining us today is a special guest. It is the SP Streamer uh, from SP Streamer, uh, the podcast and website, and our very own fan graphs, Michael Simeo. And Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. I don't know why. Everyone calls me the SP Streamer. <laughs> Everybody does. It's like It's like the Ohio State. Yeah. <laughs> Michael, uh, let people know uh, kind of who you are, where they can reach on social media, uh, kind of plug all your work uh, and everything you do in the industry because you are an up-and-coming member of our industry. Yeah, um, my name is Michael Simeone. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at SBStreamer. I also have a website, SBStreamer.com. Um, I also write for Rotographs. And um, yeah, you can find all my stuff there. I basically just um, built what I do around streaming pictures. So maybe that's why people call me the SP Streamer. <laughs> you did. You, you've built kind of your, uh, your, your niche on uh, streaming pictures and had some pretty good success doing it in the short season last year, right? Yeah, yeah, it was pretty good. Um, and while it is good now, I feel like there's pressure to get better. <laughs> so, uh, there's a cash 22 to that. <laughs> uh, yeah, a few years ago when I was in the Roto write-up, I like actually tallied up like what my uh, Roto stats from each streaming pick that I had. And I like did really well. I was like, I can never tally this up again because it'll <laughs> never ne- ne- never like compare to what I did that year. So I, I pretty much stopped doing it then. Uh, but you do uh, the SP Streamer podcast, you've got the site, and you have a draft guide coming out, right? Yeah, uh, you could pre-purchase it now, but it really comes out the day after Super Bowl. All right. Well, and that's when most people are really starting to get yeah. back into fantasy. So uh, definitely go pre-order that, because while my draft guide is super cheap, which you can get over on Amazon or by emailing me, justinmasonfantasy at gmail.com, uh, you somehow undercut me. <laughs> Yeah, and a lot of people are a lot of people ask me why not raise the price, but uh, I mean, I wanted to. I felt I feel like a lot of my fan base is, um, you know, people who aren't that deep in analytics, honestly, and I feel like making it cheap makes it more appealing to them. Um, and plus, you know, I mean, I don't know. I don't. I feel like I'm. I don't have like a large brand, so I felt like I needed to keep it cheap, so this way I get more buys and. You know, more people into it and see the kind of stuff that we do. See, he just like he went uh, 
six minute abs on you. You know, Justin, mm-hmm. you had yours, yeah. your seven ninety nine. <laughs> so I'm the six minute abs, and that's how you did it. Yeah, I, I saw the draft guides out there, like uh, the Forecaster and uh, you know Joe Pizzapia's, uh Black Book, and I was all. All right, how, how am I going to compete with these big boys? Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna make mine seven dollars, and then I go and look over at Michael's, <laughs> and he's got his set for like three fifty. I'm like, holy crap! Like that that doesn't even uh, like cover the pro or the uh, the yeah, cost of making. Now he's Tim Ferriss, you know the whole four yeah. hour brand thing. Now you know Michael's going with the three fifty brand. That's right. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, somebody else have to come up with the three forty nine. Well, it's better than last year because I did a little uh, shortened season kit and I made it a dollar last year. So, oh Jesus! I mean, this is you know ridiculous, Michael. So go out and uh, follow Michael on Twitter. Uh, go pre-order his draft guide. Uh, like like you said, it'll be out right after New Year's. Uh, follow Jason on Twitter at Jason Collette. Follow me on Twitter at Justin Mason FWFB. Uh, and go get my draft guide as well. If you if you get my draft guide. Before the end of the month, I'm going to do a drawing for one person that purchased a draft guide for this year's TGFBI. So uh, email me, justamazingfantasy at gmail.com, or search The Fantasy Benefit uh, on uh, Amazon. Hey, that's so. the person I want to call out. So if that, I want that mm-hmm. person in my league. I'm going to call <laughs> oh, okay. out the person that... who wins the, the, the uh, Friends with Fantasy Benefits draft guide. That's the person I'm going to call out. Done. Thanks. Done. If you win that drawing, you are going in Jason's league. <laughs> so even more reason. If you've always wanted to beat Jason in a fantasy league, and that list this is, is your chance. Distinguished, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yes, that's, that's even better. Thank, thank you, Jason. That that was a great call. Um, we are we're going to jump into some mailbag questions uh, that. I put out on Twitter last night because I was having a hard time thinking about what we were going to talk about today. So we'll get to that in a minute. But first, let's talk about some kind of uh, notable transactions. Uh, Jerks and Profar goes back to San Diego uh, in, I mean, I guess it's not a super surprising deal, but a little surprising considering how many guys they've already signed. And it really kind of muddies up the water. So, Michael... What are your thoughts on Profar first heading back to San Diego? I mean, it's obviously great for the team for real life baseball, but it's pretty terrible for um, us fantasy people because like you said, now it's just super crowded and uh, I feel like it really hurts the value of other players on that team like Kim and um, even Cronenworth, you know, people who we were all into and some people, some that people have already drafted. So now you don't know what playing time is going to be like. So it makes the whole situation really hard to assess. And personally, I feel like it's something now that I'm just going to completely stay away from because we have no idea how they're going to, you know, um, deal with playing time with these three players. Yeah, this makes me wonder if the reports about Tommy Pham getting stabbed at a strip club a few months back, like maybe it's uh, his health is not as good as maybe we kind of expected. I think we all thought and heard that uh he would be okay for opening day but i wonder if he's not gonna be okay jason what are your thoughts are are you drafting profar this year are you a little bit more are you lowering guys like kim and cronenworth as well 
Yeah, I was just surprised at the 321. Uh, it you know, it kind of came out of nowhere. But I think if we apply the same principle to every time San Diego acquires a pitcher, we get more and more worried about what the status, the true status of Denelson Lament is. So every time they acquire a hitter that can play the outfield, you have to wonder, as you said, what's the true status of Tommy Pham. Uh, and so when you look at how this how this all shapes out. You know, when they when they signed Kim, we're like, okay, Cronenworth takes a hit, but there's still some value. There's somebody can still play somewhere. Well, now you're adding Profar to the mix, who can play second base. They want him to play outfield as well, and that further clouds that situation. I mean, Profar, I like him. Uh, and the other thing is, like, he's, he always feels like he's already 30 years old, but he's not even 28. I mean, he's just been around baseball that long. If you remember how aggressively he was promoted um, in the Texas system, he just ran out of options. So he's been hopping around the league a bit, but he's still young. Uh, and so, I, as Michael said, you know, there's there's only so many at-bats around here. and There aren't too many guys that are going to give up these at-bats. And so if you're a bench player, sometimes if you're a bench player uh, on some rosters, you're like, okay, fine, I know I can platoon. There's no there's no platoon situations on this roster. Pretty much you're in, you're in. And so somebody has to get hurt for somebody to get off the bench. And that's one of the things that kind of scares me about San Diego and and, and spec playing some of the, uh, the, the bottom half of the roster is how are they going to play? They have the talent. They could, they could start... Guys like, I mean, Profar could be a starting shortstop for a third of the league um, or starting infield somewhere, but now he's a bench player. So that's where I'm concerned anytime, you know, for real, the team keep, keeps getting better and better. But for fantasy purposes, it's getting tougher and tougher uh, on the value of these non-starters. Yeah, I, I've been huge on Haseong uh, Kim coming into this uh, draft season uh, and gotten him in, I think, four leagues already. I don't know that I'm going to get him in any more leagues. Uh, as much as I love the upside of Kim uh, and I love the upside of Cronenworth, I think I'm going to have to kind of pump the brakes and see where they fall in the ADP before I, I get them on any more teams personally. So uh, hopefully we'll have uh, a little bit more clarity as we get deeper into draft season, but I don't know. It's a, it's a pretty crowded situation at this point. Let's, uh, let's talk about Anthony Bass. He signs in Miami. It appears he is going to be the front runner for saves uh, for the Marlins this year. Had a really great season last year with the Blue Jays uh, and closed for them for uh, a fair amount of time once Ken Giles went down. Jason, are you excited about the prospects of Anthony Bass being a closer in Miami? You know, what I was excited about is if we were going to have a live draft this year that Rick and Glenn would have worn their Anthony Bass jerseys. Uh, for folks who don't understand, the one year they won labor tout when Anthony Bass got his only save of the year. And so they went and bought Anthony Bass jerseys, and they've worn it the previous drafts. <laughs> and so that would have been really cool to see now that he's actually going to be the closer. And the fact they gave him a two-year deal speaks to that, uh, that they're going to do that. And so, you know, I, I actually like... Uh, I, I like the potential of Miami this year, not not saying that they're going to take some big step forward, but they're a more watchable team this year, mainly because half the team won't be out for COVID for three weeks, right? Uh, but I like the pitching staff, and so you could see some... Uh, the way they're gonna, the way they're gonna leverage them, they're not gonna be in a lot of blowout games. There should be opportunities for Bass to get in there and pick up some saves because Miami plays, uh, plays in the margins, uh, and the, the, there there will be enough games for him to get in there. Should he, 
you know, with the skills that he has to get in there and pile up quite a bit of saves. Brandon Kinsler did it last year, and Kinsler's skills were by no means good. But they gave him, he got 12 saves last year, and they never took the job away from him. Michael, what are your thoughts on Bass? Yeah, I mean, I like him. Um, I think he's got a really good sinker-slider combination. And um, kind of like what Clutch just said, I mean, they're probably going to be better than most people think, especially with that starting rotation. So he's definitely going to get the chances. Um, I'm just, I know it didn't happen last season, but I'd still be a little afraid of Yimi Garcia because, um, his four seam has been phenomenal and he's been really good for a while now. Um, I mean, especially, I mean, if you look at last season, I know it's a small sample, but he had a 0.60 ERA. So I'd be a little afraid of him maybe taking some saves. Um, but overall, I think Bass is put into a, you know, a great position. I think he's obviously going to get the majority of the saves. Um, but I'd also be looking at Garcia as well because he's going late into drafts. And I think he might step in a little bit, especially if Bass starts to struggle at times. Yeah, I think the fact that they gave him the two-year deal, though, gives him the first shot. Yeah, uh, I agree. You know, in, in the role. So, uh, and right now, like, Bass has been free during draft season. His current ADP is 625 on NFBC. That's going to go up. It's probably going to be cut in half. So uh, I actually just took him in an FBC league around pick 400 uh, after the move. So uh, and I took him in our battle of the podcast league mm. I think in the 48th or 49th round uh, before the move. So that that seems to have paid off all right. Uh, but I, I do like the skills that Bass has. I was hoping he would become a closer on one of these teams that's not looking to pay up for a column a or a rosenthal and uh this is where he's landed and i do think if if you're in the don't pay for saves uh kind of bandwagon or if you are and you still still want a cheap closer two or cheap closer three uh i think bass is a really good option here oh justin dad joke if you're fishing for saves bass is your guy <laughs> and you know what i i i'm disappointed in myself that i did not come up with that I was leaving. I was gonna wait. I'm like, he's gonna he's gonna make the obvious dad joke, right? Yeah. Uh, mm. Nope. Wasn't gonna let that go. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. See, this is what happens when you're up till four o'clock in the morning trying to come up with uh, TGFBI leagues. Um, all right. Let's uh, let's move over and talk about a couple moves that happened in Boston. Uh, Enrique Hernandez signs a deal in Boston, uh, and my boy Garrett Richards back as a starter uh, in this Boston Red Sox rotation. Michael. How excited are you uh, that Garrett Richards and Enrique Hernandez are in Boston? <laughs> well, uh, I'll start with Hernandez. I mean, I, I think I saw that he when he was trying to sign with a team, he said he wanted to play every single day. So that's good. He's probably going to get the PAs. Um, so like that makes him a little more valuable based on where he's going, especially in DCs where you got to kind of make sure you get guys with playing times. I'm not quite sure what he's really going to bring, though. I mean, maybe a little bit of power, but the average is going to be pretty bad. He doesn't really steal or anything. Probably be towards the end of that lineup as well. Um, but, you know, I think good move for him overall. As far as Richards, if only he could just stay healthy, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um I like his stuff. I think he, you know, he probably is like a four ERA pitcher. I'm not one who's too high on him. Um, it just is really worrisome that he's only pitched 200 innings since 2016. So I feel like I feel like at the point in a draft where he's going, it might be worth it to take more upside than him because I just feel like I, I don't know if he's going to stay on the mound. Yeah, the, the difficult part about a guy like Garrett Richards – 
who I have loved for a really long time. It, it was, I don't know how many years ago now, but on my bold predictions, the year he got Tommy John surgery, my bold prediction for him that year was that he was going to uh, win the AL Cy Young. And he started off super hot and then got Tommy John. So um, that, that worked out really well for me, uh, obviously. But um, the problem with, it, with him is he is going super late in drafts, to late to the point where really you only are going to grab him in like a 50-round draft and hold or a super mm-hmm. deep league. And those are the leagues where you don't necessarily want Garrett Richards, especially a draft and hold, because you can't jettison him off your roster once he gets hurt. And that feels inevitable at this point. Uh, like you mentioned, less than 200 innings in the last, what, I think four years combined? Maybe? Uh, yeah, four so, years. Uh, yeah, it's um, pretty ugly uh, health history. He's always, pretty much always been good when he pitches. Um, and so if you're in a league where, a shallow league or, uh, you know, 12 or 15 team league where you can jettison him off your roster, once he does get hurt, I'm totally fine doing that. But... Uh, for the most part, I mean, he's currently going at pick uh, 435. So, I mean, that's not even 12-team worthy uh, at this point. So, Jason, where are you at on Her- Enrique Hernandez and Garrett Richards? Uh, honestly, neither of these signings uh, impressed me. I mean, when you look at when you look at Richards, the one thing that comes to mind when you talk about a pitcher with great stuff uh, and durability is is his new teammate Nate Eovaldi. And you know, we he's gotten to Boston, and there are times when Eovaldi has looked really good, but he's also consistently been injured there as well, and he struggled to stay healthy. I mean, they used him. He got used in, uh, as a both in relief and starting in 2019, then started last year. And again, there were times where he where he could look really good in the start, but durability is a problem. I've always maintained that Evaldi should be a closer if he's going to finish uh, stay in baseball. Keep closing or go go to closing rather. Uh, and Richards, I honestly think is a bullpen dude uh, at this point with the durability issues and the and the problems he can have against lefties. Just put him in the bullpen, but that's not what Boston's going to do. And, and there's a reason, like you said, his ADP is is way down where it is. He's the right now over the last 60 days, 164th pitcher off the board. Um, he can stay down there. He won't be on my roster. And then Hernandez. I mean, he may be able to make some hay in in the ALEs with Fenway's as home park, and then be able to hit in Camden and either Buffalo uh, or Dunedin or wherever Toronto's going to play this year. Um, it could it could benefit him in that in that style, but it, neither of these neither of these move the needle for me in any direction. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, the one thing I can say is, and maybe this is Boston's plan, is maybe uh, Richards is a guy that they can rely on early in the season. And, I mean, obviously hope that he can stay healthy throughout the whole thing. But if he can just stay healthy long enough for Chris Sale to get back on the field. Yeah, it's good. You know. Well, he's, so he's yeah. going to pitch until 2022? <laughs> I, I, I don't see Chris Sale pitching uh, at, at all this year, frankly. I think he's going to pitch at some point. But I, I don't think it's going to be as yeah. early as maybe – People who are drafting him. Being dra- I just can't believe where sales being drafted right now. Yeah, yeah. Especially because you're just, not going to get 100% Chris Sale even when he comes back. He's he's not, I think it's the projections. The best case pitch. scenario, he's back in June. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you look at some of his projections, um, especially like uh, the bats projections or zips projections, like they've got him for so many innings. People are really just 
kind of salivating on the upside, I think. So uh, the bat has him for 105 innings. Zips has him for 121. I mean, if you get Chris Sale, you know, an actual Chris Sale type line at those innings levels, like he's a steal where you get him. I, I just don't know that he's going to have more than 80 innings this year, and, and that may even be pushing it because Boston's already said they're going to be conservative with him. Yeah. Let's uh, let's finish out our transactions with Ryan Zimmerman. Uh, he signs back in Washington. I think we all knew if the if he was going to play again this year, it was likely going to be with uh, the Nationals, the only team he has ever played with. Uh, comes back on a one-year, one million dollar contract. Uh, so I'll start with you, Jason, on this one. One, do we care? And if we do, is it because it hurts Josh Bell? We don't care. Honestly, we don't care. If you know, here's the other part: we're three weeks, three to four weeks away from spring training. We still don't know if we have a DH hit in the National League. Mm. You know, if we have the DH, maybe. If if I'm an NL only league, I care. If they come back to say, no, we're going back to the old rules, I have zero interest in doing this because that's the only spot he can play. I mean, I got to feel like, and I've been saying this all along, that I think the DH is, is going to be in the National League this Better year. Better be. Yeah. But we have to think the signings of guys like Kyle Schwarber and Ryan Zimmerman and then you know even Jerks and Profar in San Diego with how crowded that situation is now that teams know that the DH is going to be back just a matter of time before the players union and the the owners agree on that and, and get the expanded playoffs again in return. So I assume they're going to be back, but I mean, I don't think Zimmerman is the full-time DH necessarily, if that's the case. Oh either. yeah, no way. He, he's just a short, so. I mean, at this point, at, especially at 1 million, what they're valuing at, he's basically like, hey, right-handed pinch hitter off the bench. Um, and maybe you are you're our DH against uh, tough lefties. Yeah, and even if he was the starting DH, do you really want him? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, I love Ryan Zimmerman. Like he was a fun guy to draft for a lot of years, but at this point in his career, he's a streaming option in, in a super super deep league. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's move on over to our mailbag. I just threw it out there that. Michael was going to be on the podcast, and who do you want us to argue about? Uh, we got a couple uh, uh, strategy questions on top of just random players. So uh, first we'll start with a, a strategy question, and it's from at the Richard Sands on Twitter. Uh, and it says, do you have a strategy going in, or do you play it on the fly? Uh, for example, do you prefer to take position players early or, and leave final rounds for pitchers uh, since they're more available? Uh, I'll start with you on this one, Michael. Um, yeah, I mean, you try and go in with a plan, but obviously you have to play the, the room a little bit. Um, but I, I personally am trying to grab at least two pitchers in the first four rounds. And that's mainly because based on what I've seen and experienced while drafting or whatever, um, the, with the lands, the way the landscape is, I feel like pitching gets really murky in the middle. And I feel like there's a lot of value in bats in that area. So personally, I'd rather grab a few arms early maybe even three in the first five or something and um and then hit hit a lot of hit bats and then later on take some you know pitchers who potentially could be breaking out um with that being said though like we just did this league justin and um <laughs> pitching is getting pushed up absolutely like 
like crazy uh, to where to the point where that you might not even be able to do that going in, um, you know, unless you're going to really reach what you don't want to do too much. So it's going to be tough. Um, ideally, though, yeah, I'd, I'd like to take some pitchers early just for that reasoning. But if you're in a draft where people are pushing it up, sometimes you're just going to have to take the bats that are falling to you because they're going to be too good to pass up. Yeah, I mean that's one of the things I've noticed too because I'm, I'm I'm I think in my ninth and tenth draft already this season, uh, or actually eleventh because I, I joined that best ball league uh, that you put together, Michael. Um, <laughs> yeah. And the one thing I've noticed uh, is that, like you said, that the pitching is just getting pushed up in a way that typically pitching gets pushed up like kind of towards the start of the se- like right before the start of the season, end of draft season. But it's coming fast and furious early, uh, and it's because a lot of people are in the industry. I think are promoting the pocket aces kind of strategy or the the full house, which is three starting pitchers in the first yeah. five rounds, uh, and uh, it, it's leaving a lot of value for the hitting. I tend to come in with a plan. I, I I like to map out my what my scenarios can be for my first three rounds. Uh, of a draft, and then I kind of play it from there. But I'm also willing to adjust on the fly. If, if you know, someone falls, if uh, if a certain position, like starting pitching, is getting pushed up or getting pushed down, I, I like to be very fluid, so I'm one of those guys that tends to kind of adjust on the fly very quickly. Uh, and in that Battle of the Podcast League draft, I, I went, I think, three straight hitters, just because I felt like the hitting value... Uh, just was through the roof because every, I mean, 18 pitchers went in the first 45 picks. Yeah. Um, and it just, I, you know, I could either, you know, start with like a Zach Plesak as my first starter in the third, or I could get, you know, a stud like DJ LeMahieu in the third round. So that was an easy decision for me. So I do have a plan, but I like to, uh, I, I like to kind of keep that plan flexible uh, based on what the room is doing, Jason, what what do you what do you do with your uh, draft strategy? Yeah, I look at it like uh, like football in that you often hear a lot of coaches will say you know they have the first twenty five plays scripted out of any game, and, and they know. And sometimes these guys will come out, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I can see the plan. And for drafts, I look at it the same way. It's like I I know what I want to do coming in. But after the first two rounds, it's pretty clear what's going to happen uh, for the most part. And by the third round, if you have any doubt, it's gone because you know what's going to you can see what people are doing. And so you have to have you come in coming into it. I like to have plan A, B and C like this is what I want to do. OK, that didn't. And, it's, you know, you, you get the 13th pick. You, you try to see what you're going to do. And then as quickly as you can see things happening, you have to be willing to adjust. Uh, and I see a lot of people make the mistake of getting locked in on names. Uh, and not only do I like, not only do I prefer having plans A, B, and C for the overall draft, but A, B, and C for the particular spot. Like if I'm looking, uh, like Michael said, if I want to do two pitches in my first four picks, and I'm like, I'm eyeballing, uh, you know, uh, if I'm eyeballing a particular pitcher there, let's say just because I'm on the national, let's say, I have Patrick Corbin. Patrick Corbin falls away. It's like, okay, who else do I like that's similar to Patrick Corbin? I was going after Corbin for a specific set of skills. Who else is like that? And have that particular option listed out. Otherwise, you know, if you're on the clock, you have 45 to 60 seconds, you're like, oh, crap, uh, I'm going to make this. And that's how you make mistake picks. So you've got to have 
those options prepared uh, for yourself. So as things start changing rapidly in a draft or in an auction, uh, in an auction, because each of them have different um, dynamics, you have to be able to adjust so you can still achieve your final goal at the end. Yeah. And this is the time right now. So for, you know, for people like me, uh, I'm sure for people like Michael uh, and Jason as well, like we've got big money leagues that are going to be coming down the stretch um, you know, in March. Uh, so like, this is the time if you're in big money leagues, you know, do some small money drafts. Uh, or if you're, you know, in kind of regular stakes leagues, uh, as your quote unquote, big money leagues, uh, you know, do mock drafts, um, as kind of your, uh, your early drafts. So that way you kind of get some prep, understand the player pool and also understand kind of where people are falling. Uh, in these drafts, because I've entered some drafts thinking, oh, okay, I can get a really good starter, top 15, top 20 starter in the third round. And that just isn't happening, um, which is kind of strange for, for January. So uh, I highly recommend, uh, you know, some people hate mock drafts, some people love mock drafts, um, you know, do some sort of draft right now to prepare you for your really important drafts that'll be coming in a month or two. Uh, so you have, a, one, a good understanding of the player pool, but two, understanding of kind of where the trends are going this draft season because it, it feels a little bit different. All right, let's let's uh, let's move on to uh, our first kind of player debate. This is from at MLB Moving Average, our good buddy John, uh, who's a great follow as well. He's got a great podcast over at FTN. Uh, and he asked uh, a Miami Marlins questions. Sandy Alcantara versus Pablo Lopez versus Sixto Sanchez. Jason, who do you prefer? You know, I'm trying the best way to phrase this. It's like Sanchez is the one that scares me the most just because he, to me, he's like the best pitcher. You watch him pitch like, oh, my God, this guy looks so fantastic. Uh, And my fear is like I don't want to get involved in the price and I'm looking at ADP of these of these of this staff in particular and Sanchez is the highest overall pick. He's been taken as high as 74, but yet Pablo Lopez has the highest ADP. He's got, he's about five spots ahead of Sanchez, but Sanchez is the one that scares me the most. And it's not just, you know, it may feel like a lazy comp, but if you go back and, and look at how excited we were about Jose Fernandez after his debut season and what happened with him as a sophomore, can't shake it that that may happen here again. It's like, I'm obvious. I'm, most excited about Sandy Alcantara. I think if he can find, if he can get, uh, a be- if as an off-speed pitch can improve, he could go to another level in a hurry. Uh, but I also like Elysia Hernandez. If he can get his problems against lefties, he's got another level too. But Alcantara is the guy who excites me the most of these three. Michael, who excites you the most out of these three? Um, for me, it's Pablo Lopez. I think he's the most complete pitcher out of the bunch. Um, you know, kind of like, what you just said about six though, you got the innings concerns too. Um, he, the strikeouts really aren't there yet. So I feel like he still has to develop a little bit as far as, uh, Alcantara. I mean, you're going to get the innings from him, which is great. And he has that awesome power sinker, but you know, like you said, I, I, the, he really needs to develop the, the breaking pitches. So I would like to see that first. Um, I think he makes more sense if your team is a little risky when it comes to innings pitched, then I would go Alcantara. But overall, I like Pablo the most. And, um, you know, it's basically just because of his arsenal. I mean, if you want to talk about seam-shifted wake, 
uh, his sinker and four seam are, uh, have basically the same spin. And it's really hard for hitters to decipher what's coming at them because the four seam is going to go straight. The sinker is going to tail off. So that's a really good combination. And then you bring in the filthy changeup, which has very low question marks to it. Plus, he gives up a lot of ground balls. So I think there's so much to like about Pablo. And I think he's really on the cusp of breaking out. So for me, he's my pick. Yeah, I'm with you on Pablo Lopez. Uh, I just I was so impressed by what he did. And he was, I mean, a big you know, kind of uh, industry sleeper coming into uh, 2019. And injuries kind of derailed him. Uh, and we saw some really good signs in 2020. The swing and strike rate ran up. He got more swings and misses outside of the zone. The zone contact went down uh, below league average. I was just very impressed by what he did in Miami. And I think it was under the radar because... I think Miami, for the most part, was under the radar. I don't think anybody expected them to uh, kind of have the push uh, that they did in 2020. So I like Pablo Lopez, and he's been the guy I've been targeting drafts. Sanchez is a guy that has I have found myself getting in drafts uh, more often because there are either people who are Sixto Sanchez guys um, or they're just non-believers. And I've been in a few drafts where he's dropped outside of the top, like, 130, 140. Uh, and then I'm starting to go, okay, would I rather have uh, Sixto Sanchez or a guy like Marco Gonzalez? Uh, and then that's when I go, you know, I'm going to take the upside that Sanchez can keep doing uh, what he did in, in 2020. My biggest concern with Sanchez is innings. He's, you know, missed a lot of time throughout the minor leagues, because of injuries, and while he was healthy in 2019 and 2020, I do worry that maybe that could pop back up. Still only 22 years old, a lot of a lot of ceiling on Sanchez, but I think a lot more risky. Uh, Alcantara is a guy that I, you know, I'm a little skeptical of the strikeout bump. Uh, I, I was impressed by what he did, but just not a guy I've been ending up with a ton. So uh, not opposed to taking him, but. I think a lot like Sanchez, it feels like there's at least one believer in Alcantara in every draft, and it's it's not typically me. And the thing with Sixto, too, is he's only pitched at most 100 innings. Mm-hmm. Um, well, 111, really. And uh, I don't know. I just can't. I don't know if he's going to go over 130. Uh, he may not, especially with his health history. Yeah. Um, and so, the, you know, I mean, he is, while Miami you know, was uniquely uh, decent this year, made the playoffs, shockingly. Um, I don't know that they even consider themselves contenders at this point. Uh, and maybe over the course of a 162-game season, they would have faded in, in 2020. Uh, and so I don't know that they're going to push him um, past, like, 140 would be my kind of projection for him. And so you've got to kind of bake that in to your overall stat lines. Are you going to be able to get the strikeouts uh, and wins you would want from a guy taking you're taking at that spot if he's only going to you know get you know 130, 140 innings, and and that becomes a much more difficult proposition. Let's uh, let's move on to the next question um, or ne- the next topic. Luis Arise hitting at the top of an excellent lineup going so late, and this is from. Rob Thompson, the third one on Twitter. Uh, Michael, 
What are your thoughts on Luis Arise? I mean, it's hard to really take him in leagues. I don't even know if he's technically going to be leaning off every time. I mean, they got Kepler where they like to put there too. Um, he's only going to give you average. And even though he's at the top of the lineup, that offense isn't really, honestly, in my opinion, I don't think it's as good as we think it is. Um, I mean, last year, they're middle of pack at WRC plus they strike out a ton. I remember um, I was like streaming against them at times because they went through a lot of slumps. And I just feel like so even if he is at the top, I feel like the run production might not technically be there. They have so many holes in their lineup, too, I feel like. So I um, I I don't see the point of drafting him. I mean, unless you're severely lacking in average, I guess. But I feel like I'd rather be taking players who could give me a couple different categories. Uh, whereas him, I really just see him heading for average and really producing nothing else. Jason, what are your thoughts on our eyes? Uh, I differ uh, because I don't believe this. I don't believe they're done uh, with their offseason. I mean, you look at the. I would say that you losing Nelson Cruz should they not bring him back. Uh, obviously, puts a big hole in the run production. But with, I don't. I just don't believe they're done. And let's. I want to withhold my grade on on what's going to happen with this offense once it does. But just with. You know, hitting high, he's not. I don't, I don't believe he's going to hit leadoff. Maybe he does. I can't imagine Kepler hits leadoff against lefties, but Arias is going to hit one or two, and he's got the ability to hit for a high batting average. Even though he does get on base quite a bit, he doesn't steal many bases. So your value is batting average and runs, but that latter one is going to be dependent upon how they complete this offense, uh, which right now has an incomplete grade. If they get, uh, if they're able to bring uh, Cruz back, they could do something else there. Uh, I really like him at, a, at where he's going. Like you said, he's going super late. His ADP over the last 60 days is 359. Um, you know, he's uh, 245 to 435 is his range, 34th second baseman off the board. Uh, and so, at that price, I'll take them all day long. Um, and if things don't work out, uh, if they don't, if the offense, if this is what the offense is going to be, then you're like, eh. But hitting in the second, I mean, if you look at like expected runs, you should be able to expect 80 plus runs from him hitting high in the lineup every day. And I'm just looking quickly on roster resource where you can you know look at the where everyone batted in the lineup and a lot of the times last year i guess basically really when they had kepler lean off they put a rise in the seven six eight spot so i don't know how often he truly will be up there he also dealt with a lot of again (laughs) yeah he also dealt with a lot of injuries too last year and so uh i mean that i think is part of it uh i mean the whole team struggled and i think we saw them mix things around quite a bit uh, offensively, because we thought this was going to be a juggernaut of an offense coming into 2020, uh, and it, it really underperformed to the point. To your point, Michael, they ended up being a, a team to stream against, yeah. or to you know play DFS with a pitcher against. So, uh, I don't think this team is done. I mean, there have been reports that they're 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 pushing to bring back Nelson Cruz into this lineup. Uh, and, you know, Alex Kirilov is supposed to be up early, uh, if not opening day. Uh, so, I mean, this is an, it's an interesting lineup, and I do think it'll be better than it was last year, especially if they add Bat Cruz and maybe uh, another piece somewhere. I, I do like Arise from a kind of offsets bad batting averages elsewhere. So if you are the type of person that is tantalized by a guy like Joey Gallo, uh, a guy like uh, 
uh, Alberto Mondesi, you know, guys that can fill up your counting categories but hurt you, that could potentially hurt you a lot in batting average. Miguel Sano, his teammate, another guy. Arise is one of those guys that kind of can help offset that because while he lacks in power and lacks in speed, uh, he does not lack in batting average. And I think everybody thoroughly expects him to hit 300. But it is going to be a pretty empty batting average. So you're going you're gonna to get the batting average, but you're not really going to get anything else. Um, typically not guys I like to draft, and he lost outfield eligibility in most formats. Um, and actually, he, may, he, he lost it in all formats. Yep. Uh, so, like, that hurts. Ha- having the second base outfield coming into last year was a really tantalizing option. Without that, second base is extremely deep. He's going to pick... 384 right now uh, second baseman going behind him currently on NFBC since the beginning of the year uh, are guys like Cesar Hernandez, uh, Nico Goodrum uh, um, Adam Frazier uh, so I mean there's some guys that are interesting obviously can't offer the same batting uh, average upside but offer a little bit of something else other places. Colton Wong going right in front that's of him and so, I'm glad you brought up Wong because that's the one you know if if his price continues to fall if I'm Minnesota that's what I do I mean you look at what he mm-hmm. can bring on the you know defensively upgrade a running yeah. game upgrade the track record upgrade. Arias, yeah, you know, he's uh, as a sophomore. So if I if I'm Minnesota and I can get Colton Wong uh, at a discount, uh, the way the market's playing out right now, why not grab him, put him up in the second spot of the lineup with his ability to get on base and move it around? I mean, this is a guy that been 350 plus OBP each of the past two seasons, uh, and I think he would be an ideal fit for this lineup if they can't bring that Cruz and they decide to go to the run manufacturer uh, rather than the, the uh, all the home runs that they tried to pursue last year uh, with all the swing and miss in it. Uh, I think Wong will be a really nice fit. And as you said, his ADP is even lower than Arias. And I'm very curious to watch where, if where he gets a job, because right now he's the 39th second baseman off the board. And if he were to get a job, like if he got this job, he's in the top 25. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think you, the same could be said for a guy like Cesar Hernandez, who's out there. Uh, and is probably undervalued in the actual Major League Baseball market, would be a really nice fit there. And then Arise could move back out to the outfield, because right now it looks like Jake Cave is going to be playing in the outfield, and I don't think that's a good situation for anybody but Jake Cave. <laughs> or or uh, uh, you know, if, you want, if you want to start prospecting out and looking what's coming next, uh, Trevor Larnick uh, in the outfield. So yeah, if you're if you're in a deep league, you're uh, draft and hold. You take him late because Jake Cave isn't exactly the roadblock to get Larnick to the major leagues. All right, let's uh, let's uh, do the next one. This has been a fun topic uh, in our battle of the podcasts uh, uh, chat that we've got going uh, because we have the biggest Zach Plesac fan. <laughs> In Dave McDonald in that uh, in that league, uh, he took him in the third round of that draft. Uh, and then there are people who might be a little bit more skeptical. So, Jason, what are your thoughts on Zach Plesak? I I was stunned where I saw where he was overall for pitchers. Uh, I think he's a top twenty one pitcher right now. Yeah, yeah, twenty one. Uh, high of forty one, low of eighty nine. Uh, I was a little surprised to, to see where that was. And I think it's what's kind of fascinating with him, with all this talk about 
uh, you know, spin and velocity. He lacks both. <laughs> you, you, you look over, you look at his stat cap page, velocity, middle of the pack, fastball spin, yuck, curveball spin, yuck, results, oh my. Uh, and so that has really worked. And it gets into his ability to, uh, I think we talked last time I was on about contact suppression, uh, about how certain pitchers maybe don't have the overall stuff but they do a really good job of avoiding the hard contact and getting people to induce uh, and put weak contact in the play. I don't know if I, you know, I can't pull the trigger that high, put me definitely down towards the the ladder, uh, ladder of that mix. When you look at where he's going, I'd like some of the names quite a bit more behind him. Sonny Gray, uh, Hung Jim Ryu, even Kyle Hendricks, Jose Barrios, never quit. Uh, Zach Wheat. I mean, these are all names that are going, uh, well behind him, uh, but it's uh, it's like Plesak's leading this pack of right there towards the end of the second uh, pitcher, like you know Michael was talking about about taking two pitchers with him coming in right about sixty. Uh, you know he's right there in the first four rounds, and I'm not I, I can't do it myself. You guys may be different. I just I'm not fully convinced that this is a uh, uh, repeatable in 21. Zach Plesak is currently going off the board as the number 19th pitcher uh, on FBC in draft champions leagues since the beginning of uh, the year at uh, pick 57. So, Michael, tell me, are you in on Zach Plesak? <laughs> so kind of what Jason just said. I mean, it, it is weird with his arsenal because he doesn't have a lot of movement. So it makes you think, why is he so good? And I think it really just comes with his excellent command. I know in the offseason before um, the 2020 season, he worked on the repetitiveness of his delivery. And that basically led to a lot better command. And that's how his walk rate dropped to a ridiculous 2.9%. So not only do you have someone with great command, but then you also have someone who's probably going to pitch a lot of innings. Um, He was first in terms of innings pitched per game. He pitched at least six innings every single outing. but with all that said, it is such a small sample, and your t- and the way he's slowly creeping up more and more in drafts, it's becoming harder and harder to bite on him. Um, I do think he's gonna have a good season, but as my second pitcher, that's really tough, and I'd probably or your first, him, or even your first, right? I feel like I would be more comfortable taking him in like the fifth round of a fifteen teamer. I was, one other thing I was going to add is, you know, how much of this with the with the schedule going back to the normal? Yeah, you know, he got to face yeah. a lot of NL Central uh, last year, and, and with schedules going back to normal, you know, the more player caps I've I've done this offseason, just seeing the weirdness, and it's like, oh yeah, these guys are saw a lot of pitching for the first time, uh, and it and so with this, we know the NL Central with like eighty four wins could win that division as bad as everybody seems to be racing to the bottom for the most part, uh, yeah, with that, and so he got to face a lot of that last year, and that's where uh, that's one of the things that comes into play. I think one of the things, you, the other thing you have to give him credit for, you know, he does throw four pitches and he will throw them all to both righties and lefties. Often yeah. we'll hear a guy say, I'm a four-pitch guy, but like the changeup's only to the opposite-hand guy and, and the curve or slider is only to the same-handed guy. But Plesak will throw all four pitches to both righties and lefties. Uh, but it's if, if you were to give him a bit of advice, it's like, hey, stop throwing the fastball so much. You look at his numbers in the fastball, and they're not great at all. 
but everything else is really good. And so if he's able to, and he's been able to live by this for a season and a half now, like we said, average velocity, not a lot of spin. When they are putting the fastball in play, it uh, the numbers are high. Uh, but everything else they've struggled with. And so it's he's done a really good job of, with that consistency and making everything look the same out of the hand. And if you have to guess four pitches when you're up there as a righty and a lefty and the, the velocity range anywhere, you know, his, his curveball is uh, averages 79. The fastball sits up there 93, 94. So you got to cover 15 mile an hour differential. Mm-hmm. And you got to be looking at four different pitches with three different movements uh, out of four different movements. That's where things become tough. Plus another thing he did, which was great is, you know, the pitch mix change. He started going away from that fastball, which is clearly the weak point and going towards the slaughter and change up a lot more. Mm-hmm. You, you just totally stole my point there. Sorry, I was going to say, no, it's all right. Uh, dropped his uh, his fastball percentage from over 50% down to 37.6% last year. And so not only will he throw those uh, four pitches, but you know three of them are above 20% of the time. So it becomes really difficult to kind of gauge uh, you know which pitch is going to be coming at you. I mean, I do have some concerns on Plesak, and so I have not gotten him any drafts just because there are guys going around him that I feel safer about what they can deliver, especially when you've got Lance Lynn going three picks in front of him uh, and Corbin Burns going uh, like less than a pick behind him on average. So I, I don't know that I'm going to end up with Plesak, but... I do love the, you know, the pitch mix uh, change. You know, it's not a good fastball, but we've seen plenty of Cleveland pitchers over the years have a bad fastball uh, and still be able to survive because they they just, uh, the pitching uh, coaches there uh, do such a good job uh, and the game callers do uh, such a good job. So do I think he can duplicate 2020? No. And I don't, if, if you're drafting him to duplicate 2020, I think you're going to be sorely mistaken, but I do think he can beat projections. I think he could be like a 3.5 to 3.7 ERA type of guy with about a strikeout an inning, uh, and he's not going to walk guys. And so, um, early side, I don't think he's going to revert back to a guy who walks guys. So, uh, I, I like Plesak, but just not where he's going at this point. Let's uh, let's talk about the next subject. Uh, and this one, I mean, this this is the reason we have you on the show today. <laughs> I don't know why everyone is so hyped on Michael Lorenzen. Explain to me why he is not a bum. And this is from at Justin Mason FWFB. I mean, I guess it's my fault. I don't know. I, I feel like I'm the only one who really talks about it. I don't know. Um, but anyway, I really like him. <laughs> uh, I mean, first he has an, a deep arsenal. Like there was a four-seam changeup cutter, slider, sinker, and curveball. Uh, utilizes pretty much all of them. Um, his two main pitches and his four seam and slider, they have really good spin mirroring. So it's really hard for hitters to differentiate between the two. And usually when you have a slider that has good spin mirroring with a fastball, it tends to perform a lot better in terms of whiffs. And last year, his slider had a 24.0 swing strike percentage. Um, one of his other main pitches of the changeup also is a, a swing and miss pitch. So you got a 4.42.10 oh swing, 21.3 swing strike. So hitters chase it, plus they miss it a lot. Um, so again, I think the arsenal is just really good. Uh, he hits basically in every area. Like he could throw his cutter for strikes 
at will, basically. Um, the four seam creates a lot of whiffs in the zone. Plus, he has the you know the pit uh, the slide and change up which hitters chase. So I really like the arsenal. Plus, to boot, a lot of it, all of the pitchers have a lot of movement to them. So it's really hard for basically hitters to catch up on him. And when I um, when I talked to him, he told me that he learned a lot from Bauer. And basically, as well as like when it comes to training and stuff too. So like he really felt like too becoming a starter that he's going to be able to pitch a lot of innings. That's the way he's trained his arm. And they've basically he basically alluded to without tr- really technically telling me that um, he is in fact going to be a starter. So I feel like you got a guy who has a, a big arsenal with a lot of potential could get you a lot of strikes. Um, and and I just feel like. While yes, those numbers are going to come down because he was in the in the bullpen. Obviously, when you're in the bullpen, numbers are a little inflated, but he's going to get you the innings. On and I think where he's being taken, which is at 401, it's almost like a no brainer to me. You know, the Reds like to let their pitchers go. Um, the you know their what seems to be their mantra. If you look at the pitchers that are in that um, organization, is they don't throw strikes just to throw a strike and potentially get you know give up home runs. They want hitters to chase and they don't care. They will sacrifice the walks. So I think Lorenzen fits that perfectly. And that's why I feel like he's going to succeed there. Sorry for the right. long winded answer. <laughs> no, no. I, I want you to convince me. And you, you do a little bit. I mean, here's my thing. Um, and in your in honor of you coming on the podcast, and because I thought it'd be funny, uh, I took him in the 28th round last night of, of uh, draft and holds, <laughs> just to uh, just to say I, you know, you 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 do kind of push me towards wanting or thinking that he can be successful. I worry about the walks. I mean, this is a this is a guy who's you know last year 11 percent walk rate year before. 8% walk rate year before, 10% walk rate. That, you also got to realize, too, though, with that comes the low home run per nine rate. Like, he doesn't give up home runs. He gives up contact. So I feel like it's kind of like Castillo, Malley's trending that way, and the way Sonny Gray throws, too. It's like they'd rather give up the walk because they know hitters are going to chase and they're going to give up weak contact, and that's exactly what Lorenzen does. He doesn't give up home runs. His barrel percentage against is low. You know, I just feel like it, it just makes complete sense. Yeah, I just wonder if he if he struggles more, um, you know, deeper in games because we just haven't seen him because he's been a reliever go deep in games uh, very much. I mean, he did uh, what start two of the last uh, you know his last three outings for uh, the Reds went as deep as five innings uh, in one of them, and and to your credit, six strikeouts, uh, four hits zero walks in that start against the pirates it is against the pirates but yeah. <laughs> still that that's that i mean that's still impressive for a guy who really had i don't think had started a game uh since uh 2015 oh i guess uh, no, no, he didn't no, no, yeah. he started he started a few in 2018 yeah so. were they openers or were it was an actual start no it was actual start Okay. Yeah. I mean, my uh, thought is you can't call him a bum because have you ever seen a picture of Michael Lorenzen? You want to call him a bum to his face? <laughs> no, no. And you know what? <laughs> if you're going to – I like Michael Lorenzen. He was on my tout team last year. I got him for two bucks and NL tout. Um, you know, I like him as a reliever. Uh, and, I mean, there's, there's not many guys that you would root for as a person right. over yep. Michael Lorenzen. Uh, I mean, right. I still tear up. Every time that clip of him hitting the home run, uh, 
uh, you know, uh, after his father passed. Yeah. Uh, I was like, he's like the that. only pitcher I approve hitting, by the way, is Michael Lorenzo. Yeah. He's it. Well, uh, Bumgarner, right? Bumgarner should still. Yeah. Screw that guy. Yeah. That's reputation. Oh, which, by the way, I, I asked him, I said, who would win in a home run derby? I said, who would win a home run derby, you or uh, Bumgarner? And he said he would win. <laughs> I agree. I agree. But I mean, I, he, I, I, he has. Everything Michael said. Um, you know, you look at if, if you're worried about the guys uh, absorbing the workload of, again, the guy's a beast and he should be just <clears throat> just fine there. He's been working on it. And I go back, always look at guys making that transition from the bullpen to the rotation. It's like C.J. Wilson's a high watermark. You go back, uh, I think it was four, uh, 12 to 13 or 11 to 12. Like he started prepping the, the day the offseason ended to become a starter. He went from saving 14 games. Uh, the season prior to being an effective starter that following season. And I agree. I think the strikeout, you look at a strikeout rate, and I would expect it to come back closer to where he had, like in the, uh, you know, low sevens would probably uh, uh, strikeout per nine uh, where things were. But it's an overall strike rate, probably 19 to 20%. So he's definitely going to lose some stuff there. But yeah, he should not be completely off the radar. Uh, for some folks, just because he's been working out of relief. I mean, he's got he's got good stuff. Yeah, and sure and pick four hundred, yeah. yeah. Pick four hundred. He's. I mean, that's the that's a place to take a gamble. Uh, just make sure that the rest of your team has some guaranteed innings. Uh, you feel pretty comfortable with the rest of your pitching staff before you uh, before you add him on because I mean there is a chance the Reds bullpen uh, has been kind of gutted by their own doing, um, and so like. He, if they're really struggling in the bullpen and he's not quite working out as a starter, I could see them pushing him back uh, into the bullpen uh, to kind of lengthen it. Uh, but like Michael said, I mean, to pick 400, it's, I think, worth the gamble. Um, and ju- just so you guys know, as a hitter uh, career, he has seven home runs, five stolen bases, 235 batting average in 146 plate appearances. <laughs> That's that's oh, pretty damn good for a pitcher. Yeah. All right. All right, you've convinced me. I will <laughs> retroactively take him in the 28th round last just, night. Just don't come at me if he's not good. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. See, this is your guy. Like this is the, the the problem is in the industry, Michael, is if you are the only person really promoting a certain guy, he becomes your guy. You forever. get a Rotoware t-shirt. Everybody reminds you about Chris Stratton um, <laughs> forever and ever. Uh, and it doesn't matter that you were you were saying, oh, he's going so late. It's that, That's your dude. You own him forever. I still get Homer Bailey jokes. Hence, that's why I was tr- referring to on Twitter last mm-hmm. night from like four <laughs> years ago saying that he was going to have a revival campaign. Now, I, I don't get credit for saying last year Tony Gonsolin was going to bust out and, and be great uh, and set the table. But, no, I, people can't forget the Homer Bailey from years ago. I was big on Freed last year. Do what? I was big on Freed last year, which ended up working out. <laughs> but a lot yeah. of people were. <laughs> but nobody remembers your, your wins. Oh, yeah. You know, Chris Bassett, people remember the Bassett Hound stuff. I was all out, out, way out. You were. You were the Bassett. only person talking about Bassett. Yeah. Um, Let's uh, let's move on to the next one. Uh, it, it is about Dylan Bundy. Uh, the question from at Ewill seven thirteen is Dylan Bundy legit, Michael? I think he is. I mean, basically, when he left Baltimore, we all wanted, we all basically knew it was going to happen. Uh, the Angels love to let their pitchers throw sliders, and Bundy is a great one. So he started throwing it more, and the results came. Uh, he lowered that horrible 
you lower the rate of throwing that horrible fastball. Um, so he also went to the changeup more too. So it's good. He's going to his breaking balls more. I don't see why it probably won't stick. The only worry is, which I've seen someone bring up on Twitter, is his velocity and his fastball has actually consistently decreased every single year. So I don't know how much that could potentially affect him. Um, but again, the good thing is he's not throwing it as much and who knows that could be by design. Maybe he's trying to get a little better command of it. I'm not too sure. Um, but either way, I think with the two great breaking balls in the slider and the change up, I think he's going to be okay. And, um, I'm pretty comfortable drafting him where he's going. Uh, I will, you know, and here's one of those instances people remind you of, but, uh, um, I will fully admit I, I was out on Dylan Bundy after the even after the trade uh and I, I was wrong so dylan buddy was great last year people who uh got him though he was going probably a little bit uh higher than sleeper status uh quote unquote but um he you know he paid off for everybody who drafted him i still have concerns i do wonder if the home run rate will uh tick back up a little bit and those velocity concerns are not just on the fastball all of his pitches ticked down almost two miles an hour throughout the season his average fastball velocity uh coming into the season uh in his first start was 91.2 it was 88.5 in his last start uh his uh, slider uh uh velocity ticked down two miles an hour from his first few starts down to his last few starts uh even uh you know curveball change up all ticked down about two miles an hour uh, and I mean, this isn't a guy who's had like he he isn't the 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 pillar of health. He's a guy who struggled mightily with health early in his career. It's the reason why it took him so long as a former you know fourth overall uh, pick in the what 2011 draft. It's why he didn't get to the majors uh, un, um, you know really outside of 1.2 innings uh, in 2012 until 2016. So I'm a little concerned about that velocity drop, that it, it wasn't just on the fastball. It was on all of his pitches. Um, he doesn't have a really great health profile, and he's uh, currently just going too high for me to take that kind of risk. Going at pick uh, 99 right now, um, right behind Jesus Lazardo, right in front of Chris Paddock, Zach Greinke, and Julio Urias. Uh, I would likely take all of those guys over him. Uh, opposite. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, and I understand because, I mean, he was so good. I just, I want safety. I want, I want yeah. a guy, and I mean, some of those guys don't offer safety. So, I mean, like, we saw what happened with Chris Paddock last year. Lazardo's had his own health issues, and we just don't know what, um, you know, his innings total is going to be. So, I mean, I, I think it's kind of pick your poison there, I guess. But I, I am concerned by the velocity uh, drop uh, and the potential that uh, the home run rate could come back up a little bit. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm probably out on Dylan Bundy, but I was already the low man on him, so people aren't caring about my advice in terms of him. <laughs> so Jason, what are, you, what are your thoughts on Dylan Bundy? I was going to ask you, other than the play, other than the, uh, play what do you think, Mr. Lincoln? I mean, you really just went down and, and, and ripped him, but I agree. I mean, when you look at it... Right, he's the 38th pitcher off the board, and guys that we've even talked about on this episode are going 25 to 30 picks later. Lopez, Sanchez, Alcantara, all going 30, 25 to 35 picks after him. Charlie Morton, 20 spots. Uh, Lance McCullers, 25 spots. 
Joe Musgrove, 40 spots. It's like I would I would take any one of those guys over Dylan Bundy. And they're all going later. I don't understand the market price here. Marco Gonzalez, 163. is like there's so many names I like later. I am more than happy to let somebody take Bundy in front of me and, and wait around for those guys to come, even two rounds, for those guys to come back around and take one of those guys. There's just more upside there than I last year what we saw with Bundy. That was the upside. I don't think there's another level there. All right. Let's uh, let's move on over and talk about uh, the next uh, pairing, which uh, was given to us by at Captain Gus O Nine on Twitter, uh, and that is Aaron Savali or Christian Javier, Jason. Yeah, that's another. I mean, even Savali's another name. He's even he goes later than the rest of the the rest of those. Uh, I like Savali quite a bit uh, for a lot of the same points. What what please suck, especially the command. Uh, Savali was somebody. Uh, was able to, uh, in my local league, took him as the first round in the reserves because of the rules, because he wasn't on the major league roster on draft day. He had to follow the reserves. He felt I had the fifth pick in the reserves, ended up getting Savali. It worked out, and then I traded him, trying to pursue some money, and uh, and fell short of that. So, uh, yuck. But at least he was $10 at that salary. But I like Savali here, uh, but there's not, like, this is one of these more six out of ten times types of things. This is I don't see a big gap between these two guys. Um, but I do like Savali just a bit more. Uh, Michael, who you got? I agree. I'm with Savali. Um, I think he's close to a breakout personally. I think, first of all, like we mentioned, I mean, the Indians are going to, they let their pitchers go. So I think he's going to get the innings, which is great. And what I noticed last year with Savali is um, the sinker didn't perform as well. And that was because he kind of lost the command on it. Um, but as you alluded to, Savali's known for his command, and he has great command. So I feel like he's going to be able to fix that pretty easily in the offseason. I think he's going to be able to put it back up in the zone. And um, that's going to give him you know, a pitch that induces a lot of weak contact. Um, so tack that on with increasing the cutter usage and um, his stellar curveball that you know hitters struggle with on you know day in and day out. So I think... If he could just fix that command a little bit, I think he could potentially break out because we saw how good he was pitching to start the start the year, and I think that's basically um, his ceiling. And I think he could definitely hit that. Yeah, I'm 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 going to lean Savali here as well, uh, but it has less to do with really liking Aaron Savali and being a little worried that Christian Javier is really a multi inning reliever that the Astros have put into the rotation uh, because of uh, circumstance and they need him <laughs> to pitch in the rotation. Uh, I mean, he, he's pretty much fastball slider. Uh, the slider wasn't great uh, at times last year. And that's what, you know, largely led to the, you know, home run rate is uh, at times he became a one pitch pitcher, which is never good either. So I worry that, yeah, Javier is, um, you know, his immediate future is obviously in the rotation, but I don't know that he's going to last there very long. Um, and so it, it kind of pushes me towards Savali. Uh, I do love Savali's command. Uh, it is, uh, you know, it is, you know, borderline uh, plus. Um, and, I mean, like I said with Polisak, the the Indians have done a very good job of uh, you know coaching these bad fastball pitchers, uh, so I, I do think there's some upside in Savali. Not a guy I necessarily target. Neither, neither of these guys are guys I necessarily 
targeting drafts uh, where they're going. But if I'm going to pick between the two, it's Savali. I'm getting Savali everywhere. <laughs> Are you? Yeah. I've been on like every single team so far. <laughs> well, you and I have been in like three drafts together so far. So this is why I've not ended up with Savali apparently. So, um, all right. Last question of the day. Uh, and I'm sorry, those of you who did not uh, get your questions read. Uh, there were just, there were too many of them for um, our podcast length today. Uh, but uh, would you rather draft Denelson Lamette or chop off your left foot? Um, and I know how Michael and I are going to answer, so I'll throw it to Jason first. Yeah, chop off my left foot. Uh, <laughs> All right. You know, he is, he's a 20, he's a 26 pitcher off the board. Yeah, as we hinted at earlier, every time San Diego acquires another pitcher, to me, it, it just screams that Lamette is not right. Uh, and that it, it would not be surprised. We all know that, you know, historically, uh, the 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 elbow injuries, the spring training, spring training injuries tend to happen early. Uh, there's always uh, when you look over the span of a year, most of these TJ injuries happen right out of the gate early on. I'd be stunned if Lamette wasn't one of the first five guys off the board. Uh, because of that, and just the way he ended last year with the uncertainty and the quietness of everything this winter, I want less than zero shares of Lament. I honestly don't care what the price is. If Fangraphs was bringing in podcasters left and right, I would feel pretty unsafe about my job. And all San Diego has done this <laughs> offseason is bring in starting pitchers. Uh, well, I mean, they've brought in everybody, but they've really brought in a lot of starting pitchers. Uh, and I think it speaks to the fact that they've already lost Clevenger and they probably do not have uh, a lot of faith that they're going to be able to rely on a Denelson Lamette. Um, and Especially so, what they paid for Musgrove. I mean, the other things, it, they have a lot of depth. And when you have a lot of depth, you either build your organization around it or trade it away to get what you need now and chase your window. I applaud what they're doing. But at the same, and the fact, after all this has been said and done, they still have been able to retain most of their top 100 prospects, if not all of them, which is just amazing. Um, but once they went out and paid like that, the, even that quantity price, they did to acquire to acquire uh, Musgrove uh, and, and giving away Lucchese was an upgrade too. Uh, but yeah, that's to me, it was like, okay, yeah, hmm. there's definitely something wrong here. Uh, and you know, there, cause Lucchese, I didn't even think it was fitting in the rotation and they went out and got Musgrove. Yeah. All right, Michael, I know what your answer is going to be because <laughs> I've listened to your podcast and uh, I follow you on Twitter, which everybody should do. Uh, but go ahead and, and tell us about how you would like to cut off your foot. <laughs> yeah, kind of like what you guys said. I mean, it seems like his arm is just not okay. And I really think it's because of what he did with his velocity on the fastball. Um, you know, he, he upped it last last year and he seemed to really be pushing his arm. And as this as his starts went on, you actually see it start to dip, starting to come back towards um, his normal velocity. And then with the last two starts before he got hurt, he upped it again. So that makes me think that because he was pushing the velocity, it kind of screwed with his arm, um, which made you know the injury uh, happen. But not only that, so I mean, if you got to think now, if he if his arm is okay and he does pitch, I feel like he's going to have to bring that velocity back down, which means the fastball isn't going to be good. Um, because two years ago it wasn't good, and last year was only good because of the increased velocity, which increased the vertical movement on it. So that leaves him with one pitch now. So he only has a slider, and pitchers with one pitch, it's just it's not going to turn out well. 
Um, so for me personally, like if he does end up somehow pitching the entire season, he is kind of like a Robbie Ray to me. I feel like he's going to get blown up. He's also going to have those starts though where he dominates and has a lot of strikeouts. But I feel like he's going to end up settling somewhere in the like four to four point five zero ERA range with like you know like a twenty eight percent strikeout rate, something like that. And I mean, here's the problem since. Uh, the, the beginning of the year in, in draft champions leagues on NFBC, he his max pick is 109. So that's that is in front of the ADPs of Julio Urias, Charlie Morton, Pablo Lopez, Kevin Gosman, Lance McCullers, Sixto Sanchez, Joe Nuts. Musgrove. Like I just I can't. If he was going much later because of the in, injury risk, I'd say I still don't want him, but I'm willing to take the gamble. Um, you know, in, in drafts where it drops. But if his, like, max pick is 109, like, there's just so much bust potential. And, yeah. and like I talked about earlier, especially when I'm drafting, starting pitching early, I want to feel very comfortable. I mean, obviously, any pitcher can get hurt. Let's just, you know, throw that caveat out there. But, like, I want to feel pretty comfortable I'm going to get 150 to 200 really good innings. Um, when I'm drafting a starting pitcher in the top 75, and you're just not able to do that with Denelson Lamette, considering the injury. Yep. Yeah. There's a Corvette only... in the parking lot, smoking under the hood, and it looks really good. But you know that that reliable Toyota Camry over there looks mm-hmm. pretty good too. And there's a lot of Toyota Camrys behind him on the list. I mean, oh, yeah. like and David it, Price. David Price. He yeah yeah he set out the full year, but David Price is going like eighty picks after Denelson De, uh, Lamette. And if you have question yeah. marks, if you have more question marks about Price than you do Lamette, I don't know what to tell you. Well, and, and I mean, here's the thing. Like I again, this is another Dylan Buddy situation for me. I was already the low man on Denelson Lamette. One of my bold predictions was that last year was that he was going to end up in the bullpen. Uh, and I was wrong. You got 69 really nice innings from him. Really nice. Yeah. Really nice. But uh, I, I I do not feel very comfortable that that is repeatable uh, again this year. All right. That is going to do it. innings this year. that's great um that is gonna wrap us up uh for this episode michael thank you for joining us yes thanks for having me on it was a blast definitely remind people where you reach on social media and then plug everything you got going yeah, you can find me on Twitter at SPStreamer. I have a website, SPStreamer.com. I have a podcast called SPStreamer that I host with uh, Doug Ishikawa, who you could find on Twitter at Coaching-ish. And uh, my, like, kind of like what we mentioned earlier, my draft kit comes out the day after Super Bowl. And Jason, where can you be reached and what are you working on? See, I am... Uh... In my third installment of the Bold Prediction series at Rotowire, uh, it's where I do a hitter and a pitcher from each team. Uh, last couple of years, I've been anywhere from 21 to 24 of 60, uh, but I work in the fringes. Uh, so it's not like I like last year, Chris said Chris Bassett would be a top 60 pitcher, uh, not a starting pitcher, pitcher, and he was. Um, now, I do have some pretty big misses as well. Like I said, Zach Eflin would absolutely suck. Um and he didn't. Uh, but I really like enjoy working on these series. Both Western divisions are done. I'm working on the AL Central today um, with the NL Central next. All right. 
Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at JustinMasonFWFB. You can get the Friends of Fantasy Benefits, the award-nominated Friends yeah. of Fantasy Benefits draft guide. And you're listening to an award-nominated uh, podcast right now. Uh, but you can get uh, our draft guide by either emailing me for the $7 P- uh, PDF uh, at JustinMasonFantasy at gmail.com. Or you can uh, search for The Fantasy Benefit on Amazon uh, for the, I think, $13 paperback. Uh, so it's much cheaper to hey, just come to uh, me email-wise. Diddy, diddy, and... diddy, diddy, breaking news. Oh, 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 breaking news. All right. Jamison Tyon has been traded to the Yankees for a package of four prospects, according to Jason Mackey of the PG Sports Now, 93.7 The Fan, and KDKA out of Pittsburgh. Story oh. to come. Oh, wow. Okay, uh, well, let's, uh, before we uh, take off then, uh, let's uh, add this to our rundown and talk about it. So, Jason, Jamison Tyon going to the Yankees. Thoughts? Uh, it's nice. You know, I think last time we were on, we talked with Paul, and we said that, you know, it's one of the things this this uh, winter has been. People are, you know, these rumors hit, and then things happen really quickly. Uh, and just like the Musgrove thing, it absolutely did. I mean, this Tyon stuff started floating around yesterday that they were talking and people were doing their due diligence, um, and then whammo, here he is. So, you know, with him not pitching last year, it's it's always been a thing of we know what he's capable of, but him staying on the mound to show what he's capable of has always been in trouble for, you know, things out of his control. Um, You know, he's had the elbow issue, he's had the testicular cancer, um, or... Something along those lines. I mean, it was cancer, and then I think um, he had like a hernia. Yeah. So I mean, he's had he's had trouble staying on the mound. But when things have been there, you see where it's possible. And then it comes with the same caveat of every Pittsburgh pitcher: get him out of Pittsburgh, stop throwing damn sinkers so much, and and leverage some of his other stuff. So I'll be very curious to see what the the Yankees do with him to say, okay, this is what we plan. This is what we'd like to see you do um, is emphasize more your fat, your four seamer uh, speak up with, throw the curveball more do something along those lines. But you know, the track record has been these guys leave Pittsburgh and they do better coming out of the gate. But we're also talking about a guy who's pitched like 35 innings over the past two seasons. Yeah. And I mean, He's, you're not getting a gigantic discount for a guy who didn't pitch at all last year and only pitched 37 innings in 2019. He's currently going off the board at pick 241. That is going to jump inside the top oh, yeah. 200 would be my prediction. So, Michael, what are your thoughts on Tyon? Yeah, I mean, I like him as a pitcher. Um, I think he's got some good stuff. I like the breaking ball, the slider. Um, and, yeah, I mean, kind of like you guys said, anyone who comes out of Pittsburgh seems to – Seems to uh, play a lot better. I, I love this for the Yankees. I mean, I feel like they needed some kind of depth there at pitching. I, I guess they're not going to get Tanaka, right? Um, I think so, Tanaka's going back to Japan. Yeah, that's what it seems like. But uh, I like this for them. I mean, the only issue with me and their their entire rotation now is it, it too is a little uh, shaky um, in terms of like injuries. Cause I mean, when Severino comes back, you know, who knows Kluber, you never know. Um, and now you add in tie on, but, um, it's good. I, I, you know, I think they need the depth and I think this definitely, you know, boosts their rotation a ton. And frankly, yeah, it fills the, in the, uh, the, the fragile tall Canadian pitcher spot on the Yankee roster too. <laughs> James Paxton's gone. Uh, yeah. tie fills that one. Uh, yeah, this Yankees rotation feels like uh, someone buying a bunch of scratch-off tickets. You just hope one or two are going to hit. 
Um, because, yeah, who knows what you're going to get from Kluber? Who knows what you're going to get uh, from Domingo Herman, who missed all of last season? Uh, you know, we don't know when Severino is going to be back and what he's going to look like when he is back. Jordan Montgomery really struggled at times last year. I like Devi Garcia, but he is slight frame. So it's it, it's Garrett Cole at the top of the rotation and a lot of guys with great upside. Yeah. But, you know, shaky track records or injury profile um, or lack of track record uh, in terms of how young uh, Garcia is. So, I mean, it's a, it's a you know, it's a good gamble from uh, the Yankees uh, to get a guy who uh, is, isn't is even ARB, ARB eligible this year, his first year of uh, um, arbitrations next year. Uh, so, I, I like the gamble. I just don't know... The Yankee tax to me says he's going to jump up forty to fifty picks, and if he does, then you're talking about him in that same area of David Price, of Chris Bassett, um, you know, of Tristan McKenzie, and the health profile of him uh, of Tyon has been a bit spotty. I've already gotten him in a draft just as a dart throw, but I, that dart throw becomes a lot more expensive here after this trade. Yeah, I'm going to hang up because I'm expecting a call from the Pittsburgh front office to try out for the rotation. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Seriously, it's like, what is left when you, I mean, I, and this is the Tampa Bay fan saying, you know, who are they going to have a starting pitcher in their rotation, given what they've given away. But, the you know, with you lose Musgrove, you lose Tyone, um, you know, you've lost, you already lost Archer. But that rotation is, uh, <clears throat> wow. Chad Cool, now the new ace. Yeah. Cool and Keller. Yeah. Woo-hoo. Cool Cool and Keller are guys that I've been getting a fair amount of uh, <laughs> cool in and late Keller drafts. Pray for a hurricane, not just rain. Not spawn insane yeah. and pray for rain. It's like pray for a natural disaster so nobody else has to pitch the rest of the series. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You wonder gonna if they're mad. gonna Yeah, you wonder if they're gonna take some like cheap shots on some veterans uh at some uh, point. But Yeah, but would you be uh, I mean I know money's money. Like a Ryan Zimmerman, like go go find a pitcher. And be like, hey, I'll give you a million dollars to come here and pitch this year. We're gonna suck. I mean, they, oh, oh, all right, fine, I'll come do but, it. But I mean, if you're if you're a guy, I mean, <laughs> I was gonna like it's Trevor Williams, but I mean, they they <laughs> let him go. Um, so, uh, but I mean, if you're a guy who is, uh, you know, just wants an everyday shot at the rotation to prove that uh, he is, uh, you know. Uh, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of uh, a guy who's out there right now. Um, if Matt you're, <laughs> yeah, I mean Matt Shoemaker, uh, Tommy Malone, like oh, probably God, Tommy Malone be like the ultimate guy there. Just go out there. He, mm-hmm. I mean, he did it in Baltimore. Why not do it here? Yeah, exactly. You know, and uh, try to show that you're, you know, worth being in a major league rotation, and then you can get, you know, you'll get traded halfway through the season. If you're halfway decent by, you know, by Brett them, Anderson, so. yeah. Jake Arrieta, oh boy, mm-hmm. Trevor Cahill. I'm just looking at what's left on the yeah. free agent list. Wow. Yeah, it, it's it's getting pretty, I mean, is Rick Porcello still out there? He is. Um, so Jordan Zimmerman, I mean, I would, I mean if, if Ryan could get a million, Jordan Zimmerman could get a million, right? Well, I mean, Garrett Richards just got $10 million. Homer Bailey? Yeah, Homer Bailey. That's a really. I mean, 
there's your opening day starter right there. Is, wow, wow, the, wow. That virus. is, man. That'd be my guess. I yeah. am not a fan of salary floor, but good God. <laughs> Pittsburgh is just like basically going for back-to-back top picks. They just named the prospects, too. I don't, I'm not a prospect guy, but I don't recognize any of them. All the Yankees <laughs> never have to give away good prospects to get who they want. What What are the prospects? Miguel Yajur, uh, Ronzi Contreras, Mikel Escato, and Kanan Smith. Ronzi Contreras is uh, is actually um, uh, an interesting name. Uh, he is a low A pitcher, um, you know, uh, three pitch guy with you know um, decent command for uh, you know for uh, a, a kind of younger guy. I mean, he's not super young. Twenty one years old was in uh, high A in twenty nineteen. Not going to strike out a ton of guys, but doesn't walk guys. Doesn't really give guys uh, give up home runs. Uh, so he could be an interesting guy at some point in 2022-2023 for them, but he's more of kind of a like mid-rotation projection, I believe, and I don't know the other guys. You could have told so. me those four guys were the names of the, my daughter's favorite boy band, then I would have believed you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, know yeah. one, I know one of the guys, and why don't we, is Zach Heron, but oh my, those four names, I've been like, yeah, they're just singers from some band. I mean, at least... Uh, uh, What's his face? The the, the other guy, uh, Yajure. Yeah, yeah, I, I can't even pronounce it. I'm pulling an Eno here. Uh, at least he pitched in the major leagues last year. He did make uh, three appearances for the Yankees last year, mm-hmm. uh, but has pitched all of 18 innings above a high A ball. Hmm. Yeah, it's not a super impressive package, but I mean, you also couldn't have expected the Pirates were necessarily going to get like a, a top tier prospect for a guy who hasn't pitched no, right. Know, right. yeah so uh all right that uh that is gonna wrap us up uh go get my draft guide uh amazon just mason fantasy gmail.com for the pdf uh go uh if you do get uh the friends of fantasy benefits draft guide before the end of the month you'll be entered into a drawing uh that can uh that one person will get a spot in this year's tgfbi uh, it's the only way you can get in this year's TGFBI if you're not in the industry. So uh, do that and then go pre-order Michael's uh, draft guide uh, because it's half the price of mine. <laughs> Sorry. So And some really, really good content. Some really good writers on there as well. Uh, our buddy uh, Mike Curland, uh, our buddy Dave McDonald, um, you know, writing on those. Yeah, I mean, that. I mean, Mike Curland writing on it is the reason why it's so cheap, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I so, <laughs> love you, Mike. Um, so that will uh, that is gonna do it for this uh, for this episode. Uh, thanks for listening, and I will be back with Paul on Tuesday.